Kevin Klein searches for the most specific serial killer ever. The Navy pisses off nature. Christian Slater skateboards for justice. John Travolta and Ari Gross find themselves in Nebraska, comma, Russia. In today's Movies Going on 30. Chris Atkinson from Cinema Sins, joined by Jonathan Watkins from Cinema Sins. What's up? And uh, today we're going to be talking about some very strange movies. I can't wait to get into the January Man. I know, I know. <laughs> Episode one. Episode of, one. Uh, of movies going on thirty. We're very excited to be doing this. Take you guys on this journey with us. That's right. Uh, we'll be watching. Uh, we'll be watching everything, all the major releases and some of the minor releases, and uh, corresponding with the week that yeah. it came out. Yeah, it's it's around two hundred films. So yeah. we're uh, we're in it, man. It's gonna it's gonna be interesting. Yeah. But we're going to go into some detail. Now, Cinema Sins on the Sincast, you guys did this whole, early on, mm-hmm. you guys did this whole thing where you were doing the year in movies since you were born. And so you were taking one episode per year from 1975 to like 2016 or whatever mm-hmm. it was. So we're basically kind of taking that idea and going a little more in depth. Where on this one, for the entirety of 2019, we're going to be looking at the movies of 1989 and we're going to be going week to week. And it's going to be corresponding with that weekend movies from 1989. Right. And for instance, the, the, this is the reason why the first episode is on January 15th. The so mo- th- this is January 15th when this podcast comes out. Um, this will be the week of January 13th, the Friday that these movies came out. Yes. All these movies were released on January 13th, right. 1989. Yeah. So, um, so, so that's, that's where we're going to, we're headed. We're going to have, we're going to have four movies for this week. And that's how stuff was going on back in 1989. Yeah. I going through this, we've got a couple episodes where there's like five or six. We've got a few, like, especially when we get to the summer where there's only going to maybe be one or two. Um, but for the most part, you're looking at three to four movies a week is kind of what was being released. It wasn't, we didn't have VOD, you know, we didn't, we didn't really have the release, the releases. And even, even like, uh, you know, multiplexes were just kind of becoming a thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the white, a lot of these movies were, you know, we'll find out were released on a less than a thousand screens. And yeah. that, that was pretty common. Yeah. Um, and didn't, you know, so, uh, but also you'd have movies that lasted for, you know, they'd be in the theaters for six months. Yeah. As opposed to now, you right? Know. They're trying to get it to video and and streaming yeah. as, as quickly as they can. Um, but the one thing that you'll notice from 1989 is that they didn't come out with movies like the first week of the year, which is Correct. unheard of the, these days. They try to get every week filled with something. Yeah, you've got some kind of event. Yeah, and uh, you know, back then, especially January was mostly just people catching up on everything that was being nominated for the Oscars right. and and so forth. Um, so yeah, yeah, and so you'll so this week, uh, there's there are movies, but then the following week there are not movies. Yeah, this will be one of those times where our our next episode actually won't be for two weeks. I think most of the year we're pretty much going to be weekly, just like the Sincast. Uh, but you know, those weeks where there weren't anything released. And there might be a couple of times where if there was only one movie released, we might combine some stuff. 
Um, just because I don't know if you guys want to listen to us talk about kickboxer for an hour right, and a right. half. So the one thing about this that I was thinking we could do on this introductory episode and, and talk about kind of why we picked 1989 versus, say, 1999 or whatever. The reason we picked 1989 versus some other year was because – a, that gives us a lot of leg room if we want to keep doing this show. So in 2020, we could do 1990 and so on. The other thing is that Chris and I, Chris was born in 77. Mm -hmm. I was born in 76. So we're 12 and 13 in 1989. Mm -hmm. So we're young enough to where it's going to give us kind of an interesting perspective on when we first saw these films as far as then versus now on the movies that we have an experience with. So I thought that would be a really cool avenue to explore in this uh, podcast. And also, I was just kind of curious if, I mean, you can go with this wherever you want, but I was just kind of curious, like, in 1989, where you were as a film goer. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was just, I was a kid. So, like, uh, I don't even, I think uh, on this list of movies coming out in 1989, I didn't see anything in the theater until, like, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure or something like that. Gotcha. Um and so I wasn't going to watch very many movies. I did have a, a, the summer of 1989, I did watch quite a few. Um, but I, I don't think it was as important to me. Um, movies were really, I didn't really, really get into movies until I was probably like 17. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Um, what you working at the theater? Yeah. But, uh, 1989 is also maybe the first year that I realized that some things could suck. <laughs> um, like, I think I know the specific movie you're talking about. I do, and it was Ghostbusters 2, and uh, I talked about this on the Sincast, yeah. and uh, this is uh, it's a movie when I first was like, you know, I, you know I, I didn't have any place of myself in the world at the time, but uh, and that was the first time I really felt like, that was the first time I really felt like I had a, a negative review of a movie or a negative outlook. It could, there could have been others before then. Yeah. Like, I remember, also remember watching Godzilla 1985 and Transylvania 65000 in 1985, and even at eight, maybe thinking those weren't as good as... Transylvania 65000. Maybe thinking those weren't as good uh, movies <laughs> that I thought they would be, but I don't think, uh, I think, uh, uh, you know, you know, eight, you're like, yeah, you're looking for anything that was good. Yeah, yeah. I was, uh, my mother, I think I've actually talked about this on the Syncast before. Uh, my mother took me to a lot of movies growing up. She's a big movie buff. And, um, so I, I definitely was in the theater a lot. And I would say about 1987 was the first year I really, cause 1987 was the first year I probably got to start going to R rated movies in the theater mm -hmm. that I actually wanted to see. Mm -hmm. So I saw stuff like Predator, and plus that's a great year. Yeah. So I saw stuff like Predator, RoboCop, Lethal Weapon, and all that kind of stuff. And so by 1989, I, I feel like 1989, 1990 was when I really started. I like I started watching Siskel and Ebert. I started mm -hmm. reading magazines like Fangoria and Starlog and Cine Fantastique and whatever I could get my hands on. I started reading the Malton home video guides and. Roger Ebert's home video companion and all that fun stuff. Mm -hmm. So I think that was really, I, I feel like this was kind of the year um, where I, which is another reason I kind of wanted to do this year was I really feel like this was a year where I really started uh, paying more attention to what I was watching. And uh, I'm surprised going through the list, how many of these I've seen. And most of them I saw, if I didn't see them in the theater, I saw them like shortly after, like mm -hmm. I saw them on video or when they popped up on cable the year, you know, later. So, uh, and we're going to, and we're going to discuss this when we get into the movies, we're going to talk about if we have any previous experience with them or if we knew about them, so on and so forth. But like Chris said, one thing we kind of want to start up every episode with, we thought this would be a lot of fun 
It's kind of just like in the news segment, we're going to just kind of get into some stuff that was also going on uh, that week or the week before. Um, and so, yeah, Chris, go yeah. for it, man. Well, one other thing I'll add is that Glory was probably the first R-rated movie that I saw in a theater. Oh, that's um, that's a big deal then, 1989. There you go. Yeah, so uh, I didn't, until you mentioned that, I didn't, I wasn't even yeah. thinking on those terms. Well, and it was weird. My mom took me to some stuff when I was younger, like, that I didn't really have any interest in. Like, she would take me to Clint Eastwood movies. Mm-hmm. Like, I still can't believe she took me to see Tightrope. I bet she regretted that one pretty quickly. Yeah. But, uh, like, On Golden Pond, I think, was rated R. So, mm-hmm. But I, I think Nightmare on Elm Street 3, was the first like R-rated movie I asked to go see mm-hmm. and she took me to which that would have been like I said like February of 87 yeah but. okay so what was happening in 1989 um, I wanted to see what our our number one songs were and like what was going on in the news yeah uh, not much going on in the news really like politically Ronald Reagan was in like his last week of yeah. of yeah. of office we were about to go into the George H W Bush era oh that's true um the uh and i think uh like in in previous to this week Notre Dame won their won the yes. last national championship i'm sitting here in a Notre Dame shirt by you the way you are you are <laughs> <laughs> um do you remember that fondly was that the was that rocket ishmael or or, or yeah um was ishmael on that team i man i mean i do remember the game like i remember watching the game and it wasn't a very good game like mm-hmm. i mean they won it pretty handedly they beat west virginia but um wow west virginia yeah yeah see now different times see now <laughs> i that, that's a product of like how college football wasn't trying to find the best matchups it was whoever like it's whoever they could get in a, like certain bowls were already like set up right so like they yeah. weren't trying to get Notre Dame versus whoever the well, big team and was and what's even weirder is i don't and if you look at the rankings cuz we were looking this stuff up uh, Notre Dame was one so it made sense they were in it, and they didn't really have a true championship game let's say right. that they didn't have like a playoff or anything it, yeah. not, none of that teams would but, not like big teams yeah. would not play each other it but, wasn't one two a it, lot of times no that's what i'm saying that was west virginia was three so yeah. i don't even remember a two was like oklahoma or somebody mm-hmm. but i don't but i don't understand why why wouldn't one play two like it never really made what, a lot of sense do you know sense. who two was i don't remember like it it could be one of those things because remember sec champions champions would go to the sugar bowl and like yeah. uh the the pack 10 champion would go to the rose bowl and like there was all sorts of just like automatic bids. yeah it wasn't like there wasn't a specific championship bowl and then just after the bowls were over they would be like okay here's the national champion and usually if the number one team going into it won they would just let They'd them stay be, they would just be the national champion but then if they didn't it got kind of yeah. So, uh, but, uh, looking at the week of January, uh, 13th, uh, the number one, uh, song was My Prerogative by Bobby <laughs> Brown. In, in, uh, in a weird thing, I, I went and looked at, uh, all the number ones for 1989. <laughs> yeah. This was one week. It was only one I week. I noticed that. And there were a lot that were on there multiple weeks. Right. So, yeah. And, uh, and, uh, and the, as, as pervasive as My Prerogative was, was back in 1989. Song. I'm surprised it only hit one. And this was once. A, this was a big year for Bobby Brown. Speaking of Ghostbusters too, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, looking at the other songs in the top ten of the Billboard, you had Two Hearts" by Phil Collins, which would go on to go uh, go to number one at some point. "Every Rose Has Its Thorn" by Poison. Oh my God, this which, was like towards the end of all the the that kind of hard rock. Oh yeah, which I believe was number one the previous week. "Every yeah. Rose Has Its Thorn." Probably. Then "Don't Rush Me" by Taylor Dane. 
Armageddon It by Def Leppard. Oh my God. In Your Room by The Bangles. Smooth Criminal by Michael Jackson was seven. I bet that was like, I bet this was like cold over. That's crazy. Yeah, that is because that's bad, right? Yeah. So that was 87, I think. And I I think the Def Leppard album was even maybe like 87. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, I remember Holding You by Boys Club. I don't remember that at all. Put a little love in your heart, Annie Lennox and Al Green. Oh, that was from Scrooge. So that was. Oh yeah, that was still, that's right. Yeah, that was still hitting it. And uh, the way you love me, the way you love me by Karen White was number ten. Do not remember that. Yeah. Uh, movie wise, uh, in the weekend of January thirteenth, a lot of 1988's holdovers. Yeah. Were the top movies. In fact, well, when we go into what we're covering this week, that'll make sense. Yeah. Um. Exactly. <laughs> because January, uh, as as true as it has ever been was a garbage dump. yeah 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 that's one thing we should say we promise the movies will get better <laughs> yeah um but 1988 uh the number one movie was rain man uh which had been released the prior december um and it was on its way to getting multiple oscar nominations I thought, see i thought it was actually released earlier i didn't realize it was released that late i i that was a weird thing for me looking at this top 10 was like some of the movies uh in here i was like i for sure thought that was like earlier in the summer or something yeah rain- I, I really i thought rain man was like a late summer thing maybe it was just previews yeah and that's why i was thinking of it but rain man came out in december then you had twins uh, uh beaches uh the accidental tourist working girl the naked gun was sixth and i thought the naked gun was a summer movie uh and then um mississippi burning and then it gets all the way to eight before we even get to a movie that we're going to be talking about yes uh the movies that we're going to be talking about like three of them are in the top 18 yeah and then one is completely off the radar because because it, <laughs> it sucks um and, uh, but we had stuff like Dirty Rotten Scoundrels in there. Oliver and Company was still making money. I mean, it was, uh, you know, the 1989, the first 1989 movie barely made a dent into the top 10. We're going to start with the movies that made the, the least amount of money. Yeah. Yeah. Chris had this idea. We'd start, we'd go with, uh, the least, the, the box, the lowest box office, and then we'll build ourselves up to what would, I guess, be the winner of that week. Right. I don't, I don't know if we're going to call this, mo- this week's movie a winner. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> this, this movie was not a winner by any stretch of the amount. Yeah, it I- was. It was a winner among this week's 1989 releases. And I cannot believe it made this much money. So we'll, we'll talk about it, which is still not that much, but it's a lot more than I thought it would have made. But, um, but we'll talk about that later. So yeah. So do we want to just start, get into this? Yeah. Let's go ahead and get into this. Um, so th- the movie that made the least money was a John Travolta, Kelly Preston movie called The Experts. complex in the world deep in the heart of russia beyond the doors of this classroom there is an exact replica of a town in the united states two americans have been abducted i'm going to bring in some experts on american culture and give this town the facelift it needs two americans who have no idea what are we doing in huawei in the beef's bedroom that they're not in america i just got off a plane from new york where it's almost 1990 here it's the 1950s we're going to run now we're going to transform this nightmare they're going to show the Russians what's hip. AB positive. What's hot? What's your name? Bonnie Norris. I forgot. And what's happening? The key to modern America is Japanese products. Steadiums. TZs. Compact dicks. Get out of town. Now they're partying, they're having a great time, and they're making fun of us. And they will be terminated. 
There's a Russian army in a forest. Probably just a Salvation Army, yeah. What do we do now? You need to be well hung like a Russian woman. It's no time for sex games. I mean, you know, the gun, it's an exciting touch and everything. They wanted authorities on American culture. Instead, they got the experts. Uh, it made $169,000. Yeah. Now, this was a very small release. Box yeah. Office Mojo says the widest release is 100 theaters for this. Um, Tra- I believe it. Travolta obviously was on a very big decline going on at this point. Yeah, Travolta's interesting. That, that, that was one thing I wouldn't mind talking about. So, like, in the late 70s, Travolta's huge. I mean, mm-hmm. he blows up. He's got, you know, Saturday Night Fever, Grease, Welcome Back, Cotter. 1980, does Urban Cowboy. It's a hit. Mm-hmm. And people like it, okay. 1981, he does Blowout. Brian De Palma's probably, arguably, best film. Mm-hmm. Follows up Blowout with mm-hmm. Staying Alive, which is the sequel to Saturday Night Fever, mm-hmm. directed by, uh, I wish he was friend of the podcast, Sylvester Stallone. Right, right. Um, it's a hit, but nobody likes it. Mm-hmm. And then after that, it gets really bad. Yeah. He was in a, wasn't he in a movie called like, uh, Shout or something like well, that? And... That's actually after this. But oh, really? Yeah. So after he follows up, he has two movies right after, uh, Staying Alive. He does Two of a Kind, which I'd never seen. Mm-hmm. Reteamed him with Olivia Newton John. Oh, yeah. So you would think that would just be a surefire hit. It mm-hmm. was huge bomb. Mm-hmm. And, and from what I've heard, I've I've heard many people say it's one of the worst movies ever made. Mm-hmm. And then he did. Remember, there was the whole like health club movie. No fad for a minute in the mid eighties. Oh, I remember the fad. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, yeah. I didn't see the movie. No, 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 no. Yeah, I didn't either. But he did a movie with Jamie Lee Curtis, who was also huge, called Perfect in nineteen eighty five, which is about like competing health spas or something, oh. and it bombs. Mm-hmm. And then he films this in nineteen eighty seven, but then it doesn't get released until nineteen eighty nine. Yeah. So. Um. That it, this movie may only be important to John Travolta and Kelly Preston because this is where they got. They, they, well, they, yeah, they met. Now she was still married, so I, they didn't get married for a few years, but this is where they met. Yeah, it so, was like yeah. if they did this in 87, they yeah. got, they got married four years later. Yes, 91, yep. So, uh, but, um. We have but, a couple movies this week actually with people meeting, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, an, an interesting thing that you're going to see in the, uh, these early January releases, are like, oh my god, this guy actually directed this yeah. type of thing. Yeah. Dave Thomas of yeah. Strange Brew fame yeah, directed the yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> directed the experts. Okay, so let's talk about the plot of this movie for a second. Sure. Uh so you have two friends who are trying to like open up their own like nightclub or they yeah. run a nightclub or something like that. Yeah, I, I, I never really. It, it's, it's Travolta is one of them, and then um, Ari Gross, Ari Gross, yes, uh, uh, sitcom entrepreneur. Um, they, uh, yeah, I couldn't really figure out. I got the impression they, they, because there is something about he spent Ari Gross's dad's money. Yes, and I guess that didn't work out. We get the idea that yeah. John Travolta is a big freeloader in this movie. Yes. Um. So. It, the movie actually, I mean, to not to jump cut you back no, here, but to the the movie actually starts in Russia. You don't know it's in Russia, but like it's Brian Doyle Murray and um, Charles Martin Smith, Charles Martin Smith, um, in uh, and they're 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 trying to figure out. They're trying to figure. They're trying to teach these people how to be Americans, but Brian Doyle, Mur- Doyle Murray 
is using this old 1950s antiquated way of teaching people, teaching Russians to be Americans. Yeah. And Charles Martin Smith, who's known for the untouchables. Yes. Um, he's the guy that gets shot in the elevator yeah. that says touchable. Also, a, a decent, I mean, not a decent, not, I mean, he's a fine director, but, uh, a director of some notoriety. He did Air Bud. Oh, yeah, that's right. Air <laughs> Bud. Um, but, uh, he, Charles Martin Smith thinks these are antiquated. Where's all the, where's all the stuff that I see in the eighties in America these days? I'm not seeing any of that. These people can't pass for Americans these days. They don't even know what's going on in American 1980s. So there's a clash between these two to try to get this, to try to get real actual, um, teachings in this or whatever. Yeah. And they actually have, and this was the most interesting part of it. They have a town right. in Russia that is supposed to be like an American town. Yeah. It's like in Nebraska it, or something. Yeah. Well, that's what they, that's definitely what they tell the, the guys. I, yeah. I don't, I don't know what it was originally, but, um, and so these people are supposed to get used to being Americans, basically, before, I guess, they send them to America to, yeah. to do whatever they want. Do the spy shit. Yeah, and Kelly Preston is one of the agents, I yeah. guess. And, uh, but like you said, it's kind of set in the 19, it's 1950s, essentially, mm-hmm. or 1960s or whatever. And, uh, so they go get, uh, Charles Martin Smith goes over, finds, out of all the people he could find, Ari Gross and John, John Travolta, Travolta, yeah, basic kidnaps them, makes them think that they're in Nebraska. Yeah, and, he yeah go gets ahead. them on a plane yeah. and he drugs them and they wake up in yeah a, what they think is a small town Nebraska. Yeah, there is way too much um, people just going with what happened. Mm-hmm. They even like kind of just yada yada that where he's about to explain something to him and Ari Gross is like, no, we figured out what happened. Yeah, like, what, did, what did you figure out what happened? Yeah, yeah. Um. But, uh, and then, so then, of course, they get in there. They, uh, he, he leads them under the impression that they're going to open up a nightclub in Nebraska. Yeah. That makes sense. And, um, and then they're going to, uh, you know, eventually kind of move this around the Midwest or whatever. And then eventually, of course, they find out that they're actually in Russia. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, somehow they, uh, overthrow these, these <laughs> trained Russian agents yeah. and get the other Russian agents to, uh, Get the get the people in the town to like side with them. I mean, this is more ridiculous than Rocky Four. Yeah, there's a there's a Truman Show esque type of quality to this too, where they're going around this town and they're like, "Where can we get a good burger?" Yeah, and they go to the burger place and it's closed, and yeah. there's a guy who basically acting as the burger yeah. place guy and stuff like that. And so there's a lot of people in there like basically just acting throughout the whole thing. Now the these Russians who live in this town. Are, have been grown up, has been sort of raised American their whole lives. Yeah, cause some of the people say they've been there for 30 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and they're not, um, I, I don't know if, not all of them are spies. They're just, I think, or maybe I, I they honest, were. I honestly couldn't figure that out. I couldn't out. figure that out either. Yeah, I don't, I don't, they don't even bother to explain any of that. I mean, I, I get that Kelly Preston is obviously being trained. I think, I guess some of the younger people are. Mm-hmm. But like, I can't imagine like the guy they hire to bartend for them and yeah. the, like the two guys they hire at the club. I can't imagine either one of them are, uh, are spies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there like, is a, there is a, a, a fairly funny thing in there where they, they have the, the, uh, 
the I guess the tryouts or the the hiring or whatever, yeah. and they had the, there's the one black guy that shows up, and they're like, uh, "Do you have any experience?" The guy has no experience as a bartender whatsoever. Yeah, has no experience anything nightclub at all. Yeah, and then they end up just saying, "You're hired," and he ends up going, "Are you hiring me because I'm black?" And the one Ari Gross is like, "No, no, no." John Travolta's like, "Yes." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a good movie here. Mm-hmm. Like there is there is potential. For a good movie, you could do a Truman Show s thing. You could do a, se- and I was shocked, especially because we're going to get into this with some of these movies. But I was shocked at how this wasn't really all that racist. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which I was expecting it to be super racist, right, right. And it really wasn't that bad. Mm-hmm. They 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 made it broad enough to where it kind of worked. Um, I, I I liked when they opened the nightclub and the the women bring the pies. Oh yeah, and then they have like a buffet line mm-hmm. at the nightclub. Right, right. <laughs> but then that leads to one of the, a terrible scene with Travolta dancing. Yeah, which I, which I swear to God though, the scene with Travolta and Preston dancing made me wonder if Tarantino had seen the movie. Yeah, I, me too. I mean, it's not it's not the same thing as Helmut Newman Thurman, but it's just kind of an I don't know. It felt. Well, it felt like Tarantino was like, we're going to give you a better dance scene than you had in the expert. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, I would, that would not put it behind Tarantino to be like, I saw that bullshit experts. Let's make something better. Um, no, the, there is one thing, I mean, about that dance scene. They do, they do allow, uh, Travolta and Preston to dance fully in frame and it's not just like from waist up and, all that. Yeah, they, no, they're really, I mean, that's them. Yeah, I, mean, I, 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 and I can't, I don't know how that wouldn't be them. And there's no, there's no cuts. No, to no, where, there's, yeah. I mean, you know, we all know Travolta well, actually true. can dance. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if Kelly Preston could as well, but. And Kelly uh, Preston's a bright spot. Yeah, she is. I, this might, like, that's the weird thing about it. This is one of the best things I've ever seen her. Well, and she's coming off twins. Yeah. Um, Preston was interesting. She, she, I feel like she could have had like, uh, like maybe like Meg Ryan's career. Mm-hmm. Like I think there's enough there. I mean, she she's got a good personality. She I mean she's she's beautiful, obviously. Yeah. And and God, 1989. Oh yeah, yeah. But um, and I mean 2018. But mm-hmm. um, she's got a very good screen presence. Like yeah. she she lights up the screen whenever she pops in. And so I mean, I wish I don't know. And maybe Marion Travolta, she decided to you know step back. But I mean, she still did some other stuff. She did Jerry Maguire. Which yeah, yeah. Was, you know, great role. No, she was in uh, some pretty big movies. Yeah, she um, was. But but just never really busted out into like any kind of leading role status or anything like that. Like mm-hmm. I thought maybe she could have pulled off. But because uh, like early '80s, she does a lot of teen sex stuff. Like she did Secret Admirer and like mm. Mischief. She did some low budget horror movies and stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, this might actually be that. This is that's the one bright spot in this movie. I think is yeah. her. And I'm, I mean, I don't know. I'm kind of calling my shot here. I know this is the first movie, and I'm sure there's going to be movies that piss me off more than this one mm-hmm. because this one's so just mindless and harmless. Yeah. But I, I really hope I don't see a worse movie than this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, mean, it's short. It is short. I mean, so this is the the problem with this movie is it's got a great premise, it's got a great setup, and there's just nothing funny about it. Travolta is really unlikable. Oh, he's terrible. And um, just the, well, and granted, this was shot in '87, but um, although I find this really odd that the the version of the '80s that most younger people think of really didn't come out until the later 80s movies. I find it really funny that what most people consider the 80s today, like 88, 89, mm-hmm. you'll actually find, which this was shot in 87, 
but you'll actually find some of the most 80s movies. Yeah. Like right at the end of the decade. And right. This is a great example of that because, I mean, their hair. I mean, this movie costs $3 million. I wouldn't be surprised if a million was on hairstylists. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I for mean, sure. Gross and Travolta's hair is ridiculous. Oh, yeah. And it's distracting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's also got the, the uh, those, it's that weird thing, too, where like, uh, now, did Ari, now, I know that Preston is high, is told to go after Travolta, so they have a romantic relationship in the movie because yeah. she's a secret agent. And then she falls for him. Uh, yeah, and she, Deborah Foreman, who is another, uh, uh, 80, that was another 80s crush of mine. Yeah. Um, she was in Waxwork. And, oh, yeah. Uh, Valley Girl. Yeah. And, um, uh, oh, with April Fool's Day. That's the big one. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, yeah, she ends up actually turning on them. Yeah. Preston actually, you think Preston's going to turn on them, but then Foreman's actually the one that turns them in. <laughs> right. Um, but, you know, it all works out in the end, I guess. Right. Although, uh, does he end up with her in the end? I don't remember. I mean, Preston and Travolta end up together. I don't even, I actually don't I don't remember don't if we remember. saw her again. Yeah. I don't remember actually. Um, but yeah, this, this movie, like I said, it just had a, had a lot of, had a lot of, uh, potential to it, but it, uh, it really bad execution on it. So the next one is Gleaming the Cube. Adults are predictable. They expect you to behave as though what you do today is going to have an effect on where you'll be in 30 years. I mean, it's ridiculous to think that there's going to be anything in 30 years. I don't know what's worse, you know? Being blown up in a nuclear war or having a 7-Eleven on every corner. You want it to be just like you? I think maybe if I had your haircut, I could sell more policies. Or maybe if I had your mouth, I could close okay, the deal every okay. day. Give him a break. Giving him too many. They love you, you know. Yeah, they don't know what to think of me. Maybe I am as bad as they say. Who says? Everyone. You're different. They're living under this illusion that life as we know it is going to continue forever. I'm in trouble. You got a B plus in calculus. This is murder. It was an accident. They killed my brother. You're not listening to me. No, you're the one who's not listening. It was a suicide. They killed my brother. No one knows anything except a kid on a skateboard. It happened right here. I'm no. not lying. You gotta hear what it sounds like from where I'm standing. Everybody knows that you're blaming yourself for the way that he died, but I want you to know that your friends they still think about you. Somebody had to shake their tree. You said so yourself. Oh, yeah. By the rules. You got your team, I got mine. I guess we all do unexpected things sometimes, don't we? the cube uh this one may be the best known out of this group now today i i would i would say so and we forgot to talk about that the experts i mean you had never seen it before right no i've never i had never in fact i think until we get to bill and ted I had never seen oh, wow, any, that's of, interesting. any of the yeah. movies that we're about to I've, see. I actually have, I actually have seen all four of these. Um, I didn't see any of them in the theater, but mm-hmm. I did see them right around when they came out. But that's, but, uh, so Gleaming the Cube, I would say out of the four recovering, I would say yes, that has to be the best known just for Christian Slater alone, I think. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I guess the, the prevalence of skateboarding in it uh, was a, was a thing. 
that sort of gave it some extra popularity yeah, yeah, over the years. Yeah, for those skateboarding was so big when we were this age. Mm-hmm. Um, especially like right, I mean, because I would guess shortly after Back to the Future, mm-hmm. and then probably carried on into '89, especially with Back to the Future too. But um, I remember like skateboarding's still big. Like, there's definitely still a skating culture, and there's X Games and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But I remember back then, it was that's the most mainstream I think it's ever been. Like, you could go to Walmart, oh yeah, and there would be an entire aisle of just all kinds of different models of skateboards. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. And now, like, maybe there'd be one there, but like, I, and I even feel like you could probably like, not that you'd want to get your skateboard at a grocery store but i even feel like like a kroger or something would have like a skateboard you know i mean mm-hmm. it, was, it was big enough to where everyone was gonna have them just in case somebody was coming through i'm like oh yeah i'll get you a skateboard from the freaking grocery yeah but um yeah skateboarding was huge but what surprised me about this movie which the skateboarding doesn't really factor no, in it really doesn't movie. and that's what i remembered because i saw this like probably on video and then watched it on tv a bunch i remember this was a movie i watched quite a bit as a kid and and I hadn't seen it since I was a kid. Yeah, and I remembered a lot more skateboarding. Right, and you and as if you watched it as a kid, that's probably all you paid attention to. Because exactly, I know that when I watched movies as a kid, I would remember a movie a certain way. Yeah, and I would totally forget total like entire scenes. Yeah, that were probably more important to the whole whole movie. But yeah, you're right. Like you just remember those specific things that like stand out to you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Gleaming the Cube was directed by Graham Clifford, who I don't think really did nah, very much. TV. I mean, The Last Don might be his yeah. other big thing that he, and that was a TV movie. Yeah. Um, Michael Tolkien. I know. Who would eventually write The Player. <laughs> Uh, wrote and directed The Rapture, which is an excellent movie. With, uh, probably the best Mimi Rogers performance ever. Yeah. Uh, yeah, wrote this. Yeah, wrote this. This was one of his first, I yeah, think, yeah, one yeah, of his first sure. screenplays. Um, and I don't know if it was a work for hire. I mean, I have no idea. Yeah, I don't either. Um, but uh, as as only movies from the 1980s could do, they would put a character like this, Christian Slater's skateboarder character, into a murder mystery or a, uh, you know, or some sort of intrigue like Cloak and Dagger yes. used to do and all that. But, um, but not well. Yeah. The, the, the setup for this is ridiculous. Uh, he's, <laughs> his, his brother is adopted. He's got an, uh, he's got an adopted brother, like, uh, what, now what was it, Korean? Vietnamese. Vietnamese. Okay. So he's got an adopted Vietnamese brother and he works at this shop. Yeah. It, it, yeah. I think, yeah, the shop apparently sells a bunch of random stuff. Like they have a video store, and, yeah. <laughs> but, but he's working specifically with the relief fund. Yeah. I believe. And, yes. then, and then he discovers there's some issues in the accounting, I guess. Right. Like there's a weight issue. Yeah. Like- that's what it was. A shipment issue where there was, uh, it seemed like there was a lot more product on there than what they accounted for. Yes. So. He is, he's bringing this up like as a good worker should to his boss who is, uh, his girlfriend's dad, right? Yes. His girlfriend's dad, uh, is obviously involved in something shady with this other guy who's running guns essentially is what it is. Right. He's you know, yeah, that, you know, I was just about to ask you that actually, and that's sad that I didn't write that down because 
I mean, I just watched this like less than a week ago, and I can't remember what it actually was. I think it was guns. Yeah, he's running guns <laughs> with. Uh, it wasn't drugs. I think it was guns. Yeah, maybe it was both. It's a uh, it's a uh, character actor Richard Hurd who's yeah, been in yeah. like a oh, million. Oh, that's right. Yeah, million, Richard, it is Richard Hurd. He's in a million movies. I always always think that it's Carl Malden when I first see him. He does kind of look like Carl Malden. Yeah, he looks a lot like Carl Malden to me. And then I always have to go, no, wait a minute, that's not him. It's that other guy, and it's Richard Hurd. Um. So yeah, it's uh, it's all in the name of like uh, of uh, you know, saying this is relief uh, effort or something like that. They're actually running guns to this like to Vietnam for some revolution or something. Yes, and um, so because this kid is like figuring out all this stuff in the store and everything, um, he gets involved into this in this sort of uh, now. How does it? Well, okay, so. They actually they try to just tell him to ignore it and right. move on and go do something else. In fact, it almost seemed like they fired him. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It goes from him confronting his boss, his boss saying, "Don't worry about it," and then he's like at home smoking. Yeah, like he's all he's all stressed out about this crap. Mm-hmm. But then he decides to investigate it. Yeah, and then that's when he gets killed. Yeah, even though they don't mean to kill him. Yeah, they don't mean to. That's <laughs> I don't know the what thing. they're gonna do with him. I don't but... either. <laughs> um. Uh. So that, so that, so that happens and, um, this Christian Slater somehow ends up thinking there's no way this is, they, they try to make it look like a suicide, like a yes. uh, hanging. Yeah. And, uh, and so Slater, his brother is like, he's not the type to do that type yeah. of thing. So he starts like hanging around this old shop and all like investigating it himself. Yeah, and, and essentially starts dating the daughter. So he can, <laughs> yeah. he can, or he at least becomes friends with the daughter. They never right. specifically say. And, uh, like, he start he, like, cleans up. He, like, cut, there's this whole sequence where he cuts his hair. Yeah. And, and then we have to put up She with crap tells like him that. that we're not, we're, you know, like, she, well, she says something like, uh, we're not, um, we're not the same type or whatever. And, and my dad hates white people anyway and that type of thing. Isn't that what she said? Oh, yeah. No, that's exactly what she says. <laughs> yeah, and, and, um, uh, and so, like, uh, so then that's another thing that doesn't make any sense. There's a point where he, he does all that cleaning and grooming and cutting and yeah. all that, and he becomes, like, you know, he doesn't have any more earrings in anymore. And then he comes by their house, like, just randomly. And yeah, all of a sudden they're going to a movie They're together, going to a movie yeah. together, and and the parents, they're not okay with it, but they're not. Like as draconian about it. No, as- and, and 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 Slater's not very subtle either. He like immediately is like, "I'd like to talk to you some about the store." Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, but so yeah, so it's just a, but it's a pretty basic like. And then Slater investigates. He finds out what's going on, and then there's they try to kill him. Yeah, and then he ends up you know kind of saving the day. And then Stephen Bauer from Scarface and other yeah. things plays a cop that I guess they were kind of fr- I I honestly thought we were going to find out they were brothers too or yeah. something because the way they act at the beginning it's like they know each other really well. Yeah. Well the the the, the main the main sort of um reason why Slater ends up on this whole thing is in meeting with Stephen Bowers that he he gets inside a car where one of the henchmen is driving around. Yeah. He like is hiding in the back seat. Yeah, yeah. And then the henchmen, they drive out to somewhere out in the middle of nowhere, yeah. and the henchmen accidentally get shot by Richard Hurd. Uh, oh, yeah, 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 that's right. And uh, Slater 
come gets God. out of, after after everybody after everybody leaves it's so convoluted yeah he he <laughs> he gets out of the back seat and then he goes and runs and tells the detectives and of course the detectives don't find anything and uh but yeah the, as slater slater starts doing this investigation he keeps running into stephen bauer yeah who doesn't believe any of this shit anyway of course. uh and he keeps running into him and stephen bauer keeps on saying hey hey man stop stop doing this shit you know Stop doing this uh, investigation. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to be, I'll be doing it and everything. And but it's real casual. But, it's like he's not really, I mean, he he's not really telling them not to. Yeah. Which is really weird because he's a kid. Yeah. But, but he's, <laughs> he's like, oh, come on, man. You, you know, just go do something else. Yeah. And then every time Slater. want to. Yeah. Every time Slater shows up in this thing, there's, he's never in trouble for, for doing all no, that. No, no. He never, like, he, he never gets in trouble for anything. Yeah. Um, it, except for, like, um, messing up a pool at the beginning of the movie. That's yeah. about the most he gets in trouble. And, like, him and his dad bond later. Like, they don't get along. And there's, this, I mean, there's so many ridiculous scenes. Yeah. The movie doesn't work. Um, and there, like going back to what I was saying about the experts not being very problematic mm-hmm. with its dealings with race, this one is fairly problematic. Yeah, yeah. Although it doesn't really have to be because it's not really about that. Like, I mean, the fact that they're Vietnamese doesn't really factor into anything yeah. other than it's a Vietnamese relief fund. But then you still have to deal with these weird scenes where, like, the brother doesn't speak English right. Like, he said, don't give me a jerk-off hand job at one oh, point. Oh, yeah. And then you've got to deal with this weird scene with Stephen Bauer and, like, this random cop who we don't see. He's, like, the racist cop in Black Klansman. Yeah. And he, like, says he's Korean or something, and then Stephen Bauer's like, he's Vietnamese. Mm-hmm. And he's like... He's like, well, that's the same thing. And he's like, no, it's not. Yeah. Well, yeah. they all look the same. No, they don't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, like, that, n- nothing comes of that. We, that scene is not needed at yeah. all. Like, no one's watching this going like, oh, I hope they touch on American-Vietnamese relations right. in 1989. I mean, seriously, no other movie in the world, and no, no other era in the world could have, a, you know, uh, a, a family like Christian Slater's who they just happened to have, uh, you know, adopted a Vietnamese kid along yeah. the way and then have some sort of like big intrigue involved because of it and everything. So I, I think the biggest, I think the thing you take away from this movie is Christian Slater. Mm-hmm. Um, this is him early on. I mean, he had done, he had done, le- he was in Legend of Billy Jean. Mm-hmm. He was in The Name of the Rose with Sean Connery, which mm-hmm. is kind of an underrated mm-hmm. film, a little too long. He did Tucker, a man in his dream. Yep. So he had worked with some pretty big directors and actors and all this stuff. And then, so then he does this now Heather's. Yeah. It's coming which up. We're going to talk about pretty soon. And I believe was shot before this. I, could I think be so. I think that's probably right. Cause I know it's got like, it's got that uh, MDB. It's got that weird 1988 release date. Cause mm-hmm. I guess it played some festivals and stuff. Yeah. But, uh, it, yeah. It, I think it's like February or March of this year. Um, so he's about to like, hit i i guess you'd call it a list yeah yeah i mean it's uh <laughs> i mean because we're gonna have heathers just coming up and then he does like uh like cuffs and uh well I'll pump up the volume pump up the volume will be his big yeah, star making and then uh like young guns 2 and stuff like that so uh he gets some bigger roles after this but other than and he's not very good in this and i mean it's not really his fault yeah but He's not great. We did not talk about the box office. I, the one thing about this movie, I did not see this in theater, but I, but it wasn't a very big release. It it apparently was only in 469 theaters, mm-hmm. which was kind of strange. Which maybe for 1989, that I, I can't remember because I wasn't paying attention to how many theaters movies got released. Mm-hmm. in. we should I should have looked up like Batman or something. I'm just really curious mm-hmm. what the you know very variation was, but um, 
it, this was ten million budget. I, I, what did they spend ten million dollars on? Yeah, I don't know. Box office mojo, for what it's worth, doesn't even give a a um a budget for this movie. Yeah, I, I think I got the budget off like Wikipedia, so that could be wrong. But uh, it had a box office of two point seven. It was number hundred. It was one. It was one thirty five for the entire year. Um, um, but it did. But it did gain quite the cult following. And it, it did. Was, it was on cable all the time for like two years. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Batman was on twenty two hundred screens. Okay, so that's I don't God. What did they even release stuff on now? I I don't pay, I just don't pay attention to this. Uh, yeah, I don't. Uh, I mean, it's, yeah, it's now for, it gets into the four thousand. Is it in the four thousands yeah. now? Okay, so twenty two hundred was insane at that time. Yeah, twenty two hundred was probably one of the the biggest releases so, you could have. So four sixty nine was still very low. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't was, say that yeah. we might have gotten it like over at like that Hickory Hollow Mall theater. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't even, I think, uh, even on this week, it's not considered a wide release. No, it isn't. It's not considered a wide release by, uh, Box Office Mojo. Although the next two are, and the, and, uh, one of them has 876 screens okay. considered a wide release. Okay, so. cool. Um, that's interesting that this wouldn't have been the widest, but, uh, but I mean, you know, I don't know if people knew what they had with Slater. I, I mean, this was really his first. I mean, he was the headliner, mm-hmm. and he had he, – I don't think he had – he hadn't really headlined anything yet. So, I mean, they probably just thought this was just going to be some kids will check it out. But um, – Can I we can we talk about this title, too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a they, – They briefly mention it in yeah, the is, movie. What does he say? He says – Something about the zone that you're in when you're skateboarding – and it's nothing but you and the board or something like that, and it's like – I don't even remember the full thing that they said, but it really doesn't have anything to do with the movie. No, it doesn't. And originally, they were actually going to call the movie uh, Brothers Justice, and then it was also, <laughs> at one time, it was called Skate or Die. Oh, yeah, which was a Nintendo game. And um, I thought I actually, oh, uh, I thought I actually wrote this down somewhere, but, um, oh, yeah, here we go. It's Pushing Your Limits to the Edge. Mm-hmm. But the term itself was brought up by Gary Scott Davis, who mm-hmm. I guess is a skateboarder, in a 1983 interview in Thrasher Magazine. Oh, okay. So that's where the term came from. So I'm sure they were just – and Stacy Peralta, who's one of the Z-Boys, yeah. the Dogtown and the Z-Boys, he was a technical advisor on mm-hmm. this, and he also did some second unit directing. Yeah. So maybe maybe he was the one It was like, hey, and, it's called Gleam in the Cube. And Tony Hawk is in this movie, too. Yeah, he is. As he, one of Slater's buddies. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Which is where he's like a little Tony Hawk. Yeah, and uh, and a character actor named Max Perlick, you we've seen a few times before. He oh was yeah, in, there's, uh, a, there's a decent amount of people. Uh, Charles Cyphers is in this, who mm. we'll, who we'll talk about again in Major League. Yeah, yeah. He was also in a lot of early Carpenter movies. He was in like Halloween. He played Sheriff Brackett. He was in Escape from New York, Assault on Precinct Thirteen. So yeah, he's a he's a fun guy. Uh, but he plays the uh, he plays the evil owner's uh, sidekick in Major League. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who ends up falling in love with the team. <laughs> yeah, of course he does. Next up, we have for your lovely listening ears. Oh, my God. Okay, so it's very fitting. I almost thought about opening with this movie just because of uh, we're talking about January. And um, this is probably going to be the weirdest movie we talk about. This is a really <laughs> weird movie. Oh, my and God. This is a little movie called The January Man. <laughs> A serial killer has New York City by the throat. Eleven murders in eleven months. Every day it's another girl dead. It's getting so I don't want to get up in the morning. They need a tough cop. 
Listen. What? The line. It's breathing. Does anybody know this guy? My name is Lieutenant Nicholas Starkey. Find it. Superimpose that on the map. Find it. How do we face the terrifying spectacle of Nick Starkey? What he may do, what he may not do. Whoop-dee-doo and la-dee-da. I'll tell you what I do want. All reports, background of any kind on every one of the murders. I don't work for you. You work for me. Get it? No matter what the mayor says. Did you miss me? So, did Nick agree without a fuss? No. I'll let him cook dinner for my wife tonight. What do you think? I hate it. I understand you had dinner with Nick. I think he's much more interested right now in your daughter. What are you talking about? Just look at your cigar and think of your daughter. So we're going to go to bed. And then tomorrow, you're going to catch the killer and save the girl. Okay. How am I doing? The January Men. Murder, corruption, comedy. What a way to start the year. Oh, now I did you have any knowledge of this movie? No. Okay. I, I I watched this movie. I don't know exactly when I saw it. I know I saw it around the time it came out because I know I was pretty young. Mm-hmm. And I, I I would imagine my mom and I rented it because my mom is really into mysteries and thrillers, and so was I. So we we would watch a lot of these together. Uh, Kevin Klein obviously is, mm-hmm. is in this movie. He's coming off Fish Called Wanda. Yep. Um, so, and he's gonna he's gonna about to win the Oscar. I know that's crazy yeah. too. So um, I'm pretty sure I must have seen it probably when it came on video. Don't remember anything about it, but then watched it again because I'm crazy. Like a couple years ago, mm-hmm. uh, it was on like Stars or something, and and I was like, oh yeah, I think I saw this. And then all of a sudden, it was really weird. It was like I remembered everything. Mm-hmm. It was one of those weird. You ever have those experiences yeah. where you're like, I haven't thought about this movie in 20 years. This is <laughs> and now I remember everything. And then I watched it again, of course, for this. Everything about this movie is bizarre. It is. Um, the there's a there are, there are these killings. That are happening. There's a serial, there's serial killings of women, single women in their like apartments. Well, first off, let's, yeah, let's talk about that. So the, the, I guess the, uh, I guess the overall plot line, I don't, I don't know. There's so many plot lines in this movie. Yeah. But I guess that's the main focus of this because this is why Kevin Klein's character comes into it. Mm-hmm. So this guy is killing a woman a month. Yes. Which this is New York, right? So, yes. So, I don't even know how big of a deal that is. I'm not trying to be funny, but like in 1989, yeah, they wouldn't be. I don't even know if that would be the number I don't one case. E- I think there's only a couple of things though that, that there are a couple <laughs> things that connect each killing. Yeah, like, yeah. So a, they know it's a serial killer. Yeah, and but but and they don't call him. I, I they don't call him the January Man in the movie. No. But one of the things I couldn't even figure out was it was such an inept title because it's like he doesn't just kill them in January. I mean. Shouldn't he be like the calendar man? Right. He should be. <laughs> or the he calendar should, killer? Yeah. Yeah. He should be. The, 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 I could, I don't know where to begin with this movie actually. Well, you've got, um, I'm trying to even think how it opens, but you've got essentially, you've got, uh, well, it opens with Mary Elizabeth Master Antonio and her friend getting, oh, that's a taxi, right. And then her, and then her friend is the next, and her film. friend dies. And then of course it's a big deal because Mary Elizabeth Master Antonio is the mayor's daughter played by Rod Steiger. Yes. Um, and, uh, and so this has been uh, apparently going on for a while and Rod Steiger in one of the most overacting performances I've ever seen. Oh, it's insane. He's, 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 uh, he's calling his inner Pacino. Yes, he is. He's just like, we gotta know something about this right now, blah, blah, blah. And then so like, uh, uh, he's telling Harvey Keitel, who's the police commissioner, I need, I need somebody to, to get this solved. Oh, he said, get your brother. And, and and and, he gets you. yeah. Yeah. And so. 
So Harvey Keitel goes to get his brother Kevin Klein. Those guys don't yeah. look anything alike, by the way. No. Um, and, uh, so Keitel goes to Klein and apparently there's been some, some shit that happened previously to this. Yeah. And that was really confusing. Like there's all this talk about there was like a check. I, yeah. I got the impression that he was framed for being he, on the take, but yes. he apparently was a very good detective. So I yes. don't even understand why they wanted to frame him. Right. That yeah, they, <laughs> that that entire backstory is sort of cut. And I don't. I and I think we're supposed to assume Keitel and Steiger framed him, but we don't really ever find Never that know. out. And then, um, but then on top of that, uh, you've got Susan Sarandon mm-hmm. is Harvey Keitel's wife, but used to be with Kevin Klein. <laughs> yes. So that's another <laughs> dynamic we have to deal with. That's not interesting. <laughs> so. Can I tell, like, ask Klein, who's now a firefighter. Yeah, talk about a cast. This movie has an insane cast, yeah. by the way. He, he goes to Klein and he's, who's a firefighter now and yeah. says, I need you to come back. And Klein's like, okay, well, I've got one, yeah. uh, one, uh, condition and it's to have dinner with Susan Sarandon. Yeah. And so he puts the moves on her during this dinner. Yeah. And. Oh, that's an awkward scene. Yeah. Too. And then she ends up leaving. That's like, yeah, oh God. Okay, so, uh, so this was, let's get into that a little bit. So this was written by, uh, John Patrick Shanley. Yeah. He won an Oscar for, I believe he won the Oscar for Moonstruck. He mm-hmm. wrote Moonstruck. Yep. So this was an earlier screenplay of his. Mm-hmm. So once he's got a little bit of notoriety, he's like, oh, hey, here's January Man. Yeah. And so, he was also nominated for Doubt later on. Oh, in his that's life. right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so they, that, that's a great, how did he write this? So, um, so he gets this bot somehow, and I thought there was more to the background of this movie. I couldn't really find anything, mm-hmm. but um, it was directed by Pat O'Connor. Pat O'Connor was uh, an up-and-coming – he was an Irish filmmaker, mm-hmm. or he is an Irish filmmaker. I think he's still alive. But um, he had done a couple of smaller films. He had done an adaptation of A Month in the Country, mm-hmm. and then he did this movie with Daniel Day-Lewis that came out in 88 called Stars and Bars, which got a little bit of attention because Day-Lewis was coming up, yep. which Day-Lewis is going to have a hell of an 89. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pat O'Connor got to direct January Man. Surprisingly, he's didn't kill his career. Yeah. Later on, Pat O'Connor yeah. would do Circle of yeah, Friends. which is a good movie. Sweet November. I've never seen, but I've... Uh, and he uh, he married Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio. Yeah, that was the other... And they're still married to this day. Yeah. So they met on January. January, I mean, that was the only good thing to come out of this movie. Yeah, another another <laughs> coupling happens there on this go. movie. These terrible movies. That, that's a that's a <laughs> that's a thing that all young actors should realize. Take all the bad movies, you can get find a partner for life in that. Movie. Exactly. And but this has a hell of a cast. We've got we've already talked about Klein. This is one of Master Antonio's first films. Sarandon's in it. Kaitel, Kaitel, who had the weirdest. Like if you look at Kaitel in the eighties, though, it is weird mm-hmm. because I think we think of Kaitel as Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs. And Kaito was pretty big in the 70s. Like, he did Taxi Driver. He did Fingers. I mean, he had some good stuff. Mean Streets. Yeah, yeah. And then and then in the 80s, if you look up his filmography, he's in a ton of shit. Mm-hmm. But, like, he didn't stop working. But nothing's good. Like, none of it. Mm-hmm. None of it was anything that was effective. So, thankfully, I guess Taren- that was another guy like Travolta that Tarantino, you know, kind of picked up and put in some stuff and mm-hmm. got him a second career, basically. Now, you're, now technically, you're right about it. Master Antonio, this is... I guess one of her first, but she's been around since 83 with okay. Scarface and Color of Money. I forgot she was in, oh yeah, Color of Money, that would be the big one. Um, that would be her But life. she didn't like work constantly or no, anything. No, no. So it was like Scarface, then Color of Money. Color, then of like, Money. Color of Money probably got her this though. Yeah, then a couple of other movies and then she's in this, but, um, but, uh, 
Danny Aiello's in this? Danny Aiello is in this. He's also an overactor in this, too. Well, and he was in Moonstruck, so he's got a little bit of notoriety he, in this. But, but, oh, my God, but there is this scene, my favorite scene in this movie. I mean, not it's not good, mm-hmm. but it's my favorite scene, is Danny Aiello. Okay, so Danny Aiello is the captain, yeah, and he doesn't like Klein. Right. They don't get along. So when he finds out they're bringing Klein back to the force, he's mad. Mm-hmm. So he goes into Steiger's office, and, and Keitel's in there, and he's just saying, I don't want him, I don't want him. Steiger's acting perfectly fine. He's just like, what are you talking about? I mean, it's fine. He's a good detective. He's going to catch the killer. We'll all be happy. And then Daniello just keeps going and going, and then Steiger just goes from zero to a hundred. Yes. He's like, Who the fuck do you oh think you're God. talking to? Are you trying to fuck me? Yeah. And you're just like, what is going Where'd on? Where did it come from? <laughs> yeah. Where did it come from? And Steiger's got this ridiculous, like, I guess it's a hairpiece. Yeah. I don't even know what it is. Yeah. It looks like a chia pad. Yeah. On top of his head. Oh yeah. Um. So so most of this movie isn't even Klein doing any actual investigation. Like no, he's, he's he gets in. So like he starts like basically stalking Mary Elizabeth Master Antonio for a little bit in this movie. Yes, he, and she's like out ice skating, and he goes yes. out and ice skates with her, and and she's like, uh, "Oh, you've been following me around." And then like they have dinner. And I don't think he has any knowledge that she's the mayor's daughter, right? Until afterwards. Oh, I don't even. Know. I, I don't know if that matters. But. but but the point is, they have some sort of dinner, and then like he finds out there's no way she actually could have been the killer. And then she goes, and he's like, he's like, well, I, uh, I'm going to have to eventually just ask you to bed, to go to bed with me or whatever. And she's totally down with that. Yeah. They go to a hotel immediately. Yep. They're, they're having sex and, uh, and he goes, how old are you? And she goes, 23. Yeah. And look, <laughs> Mary Elizabeth Master Antonio is a beautiful, beautiful woman and she's gorgeous in this. Yeah. She ain't no fucking 23. No. That's for maybe, sure. Maybe 29. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but that's what, that's a, that's a funny thing. Oh, so, he, yeah, he, that's why he was in her, that's why he was talking to her, cause he knew she was the friend. Mm, so he probably does know about she's the mayor's daughter. But yeah. Like, yeah. Um, Alan Rickman. We, we haven't even talked oh, about yeah, Alan Rickman. Alan Rickman. First movie after Die Hard. Yeah. I think, I, that got released. He's so. playing like some artist. And I, I will say, like, as far as the performances in this movie, we've already talked about are really weird. Kevin Klein's not good in this. Mm-hmm. And Kevin Klein's one of those interesting guys that, like, I, I like him, but I think he was either, either he's picking projects that don't fit him very well, or he's just miscast. Mm-hmm. Because this is not the only movie. I mean, like, uh, he does, um, I Love You to Death. Yeah. Where he plays like this, like Italian meatball guy, and yeah. that doesn't work. N- there's no chemistry with anybody in this movie. Yeah. Um, Master Antonio and Sarandon come off probably the best, mm-hmm. but that probably has to do with they have like the least to do and they're not really essential to the movie. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess Rickman's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Rickman's totally fine. Although like they, they, in, they put him in to just absolutely just makes no sense where they insert him in this movie. Like Klein's like, I've got to have. You know, whoever Alan Rickman's playing. I've got to have him in my office, and he's also got to have an NEC computer. Yeah. And so, like, so, like, Rickman's, like, helping him out with investigations, and then, like, there's a point, like, towards the end where they try to trick the killer. Yeah. And he's he's come along for the ride on that. He's like the he's like the eccentric neighbor. Yeah. I mean, that's his character. That's all he is. And um, he's very much in the same vein as... um, like Jeff Daniels in uh, Bloodwork mm-hmm. with uh, Clint Eastwood. Yeah. I don't know why that possible. Which is funny, and we're going to spoil the January Man, but that's funny because I actually thought when when you actually think this is a legit mystery, which this is a whole other issue I have with this movie, um, 
I actually thought Rickman was going to be the killer. Mm-hmm. And I think the reason I was, cause I couldn't remember. And I think the reason I was thinking that was because I was thinking about blood work because in blood work, Jeff Daniels ends up. Being yeah. Killer, yeah. Yeah. Which is ridiculous. But, uh, but anyway, so that's kind of where I thought they were going with the Rickman character. And, uh, but then they, but then they didn't. So he ends up even being more pointless. Let's talk about this mystery for a second. Yes. We are going to spoil the January man. Um, well, there's not really anything to spoil though. That's the thing. This movie's mystery. I mean, everything about it is just wrong. Like, everything about what you do to investigate stuff like this is wrong. Like, it's impossible. It would be impossible. I'm I'm not buying that he's a good detective. No, I'm not either. They're trying to do, like, a Sherlock Holmes, like, a kind of a zero effect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He absolutely does not work. He's not, he's not that. He's never shown as that kind of detective. But first off, let's, let's just talk about the, so he figures out by he figures out that oh each of these killings happened on on a prime number day and and, and like so so which prime number hasn't been used yet is basically what it comes down to. Yeah. And the only way that you can figure that out is if 12 killings has happened. Exactly. So like or 11 I guess that have Well happened. this what had 11 happened though? I think 11 have happened. Okay. So he figures out, oh, so like January, like February of whatever was this prime number, March was this prime number, so on yeah, and so yeah. forth. The only one that wasn't used was this one in January. And, um, and so like he figures out, okay, that's definitely got to be the day that he's going to strike next because that's the only prime number that hasn't been used. That's already disappointing as far as a murder mystery is occurred. Sure. Is that, it would have required, you would have never been able to do this in, in like February when the first killing happened. No. And then. So all then these people had to die essentially. For they these, all had yeah. to die. The, abs- the most absurd part of this though is that he figures out that by, by getting all these women's apartments together on pictures and like highlighting each one that that they must have some sort of musical note reser- <laughs> like musical note uh, uh uh structure and it's calendar girl and it's calendar girl <laughs> and and so like i i can't is it is it master antonio that figures out the music part well, yeah i think so and then they start humming it yeah. they both can read music apparently right. and um which i think she does have something to do with music but um yeah, and then they start humming it, and then they're like, oh, I know that, I know it. Then they figure out it's Calendar Girl. Yeah, and so they figure out it's Calendar Girl, They so they know that the next note in that song has to be in this apartment. Yeah. Now, now I don't even understand that either. No. Like, Couldn't it be, like, all over that there could be a hallway? Billion, yeah. There could be a billion, no, it's not the same building, right? No, I think it is a different building. It's all, yeah, they're yeah. all different buildings. They so all I, have the same kind of front on yeah, them. Yeah, so I don't, yeah, I don't know how you feel. Because if it was the up. same building, yeah. <laughs> that would have been a lockdown. <laughs> but like, but like, it's all the different buildings put together. He figures out, okay, da, 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 that's okay. And then it's calendar girl. They figure out the first, the next note and they figure out, I don't know, I've forgotten how they figured out which apartment it was going to be. But of course they know what level it's going to yeah. be because of the notes. And, um, well, and I think they, maybe they just narrowed it down to the people that lived on that floor and I, yeah. I, I, there was something, but you, you, I think about what the, I think about what the killer has to go through to go through all this. Like, uh, if you're trying to like, if you're trying to conduct this masterpiece of, uh, of a serial killing with calendar girl as the, as the somehow, you know, 
that no one's ever going to figure out and, and everything. How do you, how do you find single women on every single floor that you need yeah. to do this? I don't know. I mean, maybe there are single women on every floor of every building. I don't know. But what if he ran into a situation where there weren't any on one single floor? You know, yep. he just stops. Uh, I guess so. <laughs> uh, furthermore, they make a whole big deal out of making this like, Oh, there's going to be somebody we know is going to be the killer in this thing. Cause there's like, Kaitel yeah, could be it. They do, but at the same time, they don't really set up red herrings. No. Like, they don't really, cause there's no investigation going on. There is one tiny red herring, and that's when Klein and Kaitel are talking to each other, and Klein says, I, I, I think this serial killer, uh, has, has a, and I have a lot in common. We might have the same kind of family life oh, or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so, like, uh, so then there's that one germ of an idea that maybe Kaitel's doing this. Yeah. Um, but, uh, it ends up being nobody like, no, like there's just nobody. It's, it's not even anybody that we've seen before in the movie. It's just, and so Klein makes this statement like, oh, he's a nobody. And that's the point. Yeah. And, it's ridiculous. And it's, and it's the, the point is, is that because this guy feels like he's a nobody, that's why he's gone and done all this stuff. Yeah, but. And- He's a nobody in general and it doesn't, it's not satisfying in one, in one bit when they catch him. Yeah. And there weren't very many, uh, like positive reviews of this, but, uh, I did find some like not reviews that were written at the time, but people that have like reflected on it since and mm-hmm. like, you know, like blogs and stuff. I, I read where a few people were talking about how they felt like it was, uh, it did a good job of like, um, it was kind of, oh, how do you put it? It was kind of a, uh, like a treatsy on the murder mystery. Like it was kind of, uh, it was kind of like, not like almost like a satire uh, of a murder mystery. Yeah, like a treatise? A tre- a, or, or like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, for all of a sudden, this word is absolutely escaping. Yeah, I think that's what it is, right? Treatise yeah. is, not, yeah. Yeah, like it's just playing off the murder mystery. Like it's, it's, it's kind of like make, poking fun at what the murder mystery was at mm, this time. Mm-hmm. But I don't agree with that at all. I don't think Shanley has any of that in his script. I think that's supposed to be his twist. Yeah. I think the, uh, the fact that it's just a regular person mm-hmm. that nobody's seen the entire movie i think that's supposed to be the twist yeah i don't think there's anything underneath that i don't mm-hmm. think there's anything more and more going on yeah um i could be wrong no there isn't Maybe there, I'm misunderstanding. I, I really don't think there is if there was then it's something that's been left on the cutting room floor or was never filmed because... and it does feel like there was stuff there had to be stuff left on the cutting room floor yeah the marketing for this also doesn't seem to really know what it what it is because like <laughs> it's a picture of kevin klein Walking through a door with this weird look on his face and Mary Elizabeth Mastrotonio yeah. looking behind his shoulder yeah. like it's a big comedy. And there's, there's maybe like the end, the ending scene where they're like, uh, trying to get to the serial killer when they're yeah. trying to trap him. That's the only point in the movie where there's anything like kind of funny. And that's going the one on. part where I, I did like Klein in that scene because mm-hmm. there's, yeah, that is actually a pretty well staged scene where the killer they're both going down the stairs right yeah, yeah, they're both yeah. like slowly slowly falling down the stairs mm-hmm. yeah and um yeah that was a moment where that that felt almost like fish called wanda or something along yeah. those lines but yeah the rest of the movie that's not a, it's not a comedy yeah or yeah. it's not it's it's not a good one if it is i mean no. i don't even see where it's going for comedic effect and Kaitel's weird too. Like we were talking about everybody's performance. Kaitel, like I thought he was okay at first, but then I realized, like halfway through, he has no idea. Like I don't think Kaitel knows whether he's supposed to be a bad guy or not. Yeah, 
Because, like, he seems very, like, it, it's the way he plays certain scenes. Like, there's that scene where they go get him initially and, like, Klein's in the building that's mm-hmm. on fire. Yeah, yeah. Trying to save people. And Kaitel's just like, yeah, I need him out here now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the way he plays the scene, it's it's not like he's an asshole. It's almost like he's an idiot. Yeah. And it's like, you just never can figure out, like, who's, what, what they're supposed to be. And, like, even Sarandon's motivation, I don't get. There's, like, no... Like, the one scene we see Sarandon and Kaitel together early on, they're mm-hmm. perfectly cordial. Yeah. They seem like they're a, a perfectly fine couple. And then at the end of the movie, I'm leaving you. Yeah. Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> like, where did this come from? <laughs> yeah, it came from? out of nowhere. And I, I guess it's because maybe she finds out that – this is the other part we don't know, though. But she finds out that Kaitel was the one who planted the check or whatever and – all but that. I, I, but I almost feel like she knew that. Yeah. And I, I still don't understand. I'm, I'm never going to go back and, and that was the thing. Like, I remember you watched this, uh, before I rewatched it mm-hmm. for the podcast. And I remember you were telling me, um, you know, you were just say you were just talking about it for a second. Then I was like, you know, I was like, I remember it not being good, but at the time I was thinking it was something that I would recommend to certain people because it's like, it's kind of like falls under that, like, fascinating failure mm-hmm. category mm-hmm. where it doesn't work but it's kind of interesting upon this viewing though i'd change my mind i i would not recommend this to anybody yeah I, it, it, life's too short yeah it really is <laughs> it really I mean, is there, there's nothing to grasp on here. i don't i don't know I, I may i may take a counter to this not because i think the movie's good and people should watch it but you should watch it for just the str- the extreme oddity that it is like if you're if you're if you're curious about a movie that just everything goes wrong in it and everything, yeah, 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 and how not to make a movie, yeah, yeah, that would actually that might be a good thing. Like, There's so many things in this that are like, it's fun to talk about this movie. It is yeah, because and we so, didn't even, we probably didn't even touch on half the stuff. No, and it's just it's fun talking about it because it's so incredibly like all over the place. Oh my god! There's that see where he walks in. Um, he walks in Alan Rickman's apartment because he has to get his table back. Yeah. And Alan Rickman's just like painting that woman. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I just, I just don't know what this movie is. The movie is. is bizarre, man. And I, I yeah, I, I know what you're saying. And I think I was there with you. But if you watch this again, you might be there with me. And yeah. Like, no, no, I'm good. <laughs> yeah. No, I wouldn't ever watch it again. Uh, it's just that it's uh, it's such Although, a. It's one of those movies, though, in like 10 years, it's going to come on. You're just going to be like, huh. Maybe I don't remember this, and then yeah. you'll start watching it and be like, "Oh God, damn it!" Yeah, exactly. Um, uh. If we watch, if we watch ten movies, I mean, I don't know that we're going to do like a worst of list or anything. We haven't. Even, I don't know what we're going to do for our wrap up at the end of the year. But uh, if we watch ten movies worse than this, I'm going to be really upset. We yeah. get this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then we get to our our biggest, um, the uh, biggest hit, the our winner. biggest hit. Oh yeah, January Man. By the way, it made. Uh, it was. I mean, if we want, if anybody cares, it made four point six million. The budget wasn't listed. Um, I couldn't find it, mm-hmm. but I have to imagine this was like a ten or twelve million dollar film. Probably with all the people. That I would, yeah, it. I would think the cast would be about six million. That's my guess. Yeah, and then you know, yeah. I'm sure they spent three. They found a way to spend three or four million. After spent that. a couple of dollars on all the other things. But yes, our our big winner, big winner, big winner of the week. Yeah, this one finished eighth in the box office to seven. Oh, this, no, there had to be this one. Right? Yeah, yeah, seven seven movies in 1988 beat this one, but Deep Star Six. Below the surface of the sea. 
Far, far below, in impenetrable darkness, at unimaginable pressure, no form of life we know could possibly exist. Here, there is only silence. And the crew of Deep Star Six. Six months at the bottom of the ocean. It's more than I bargained for. They are explorers. Let's bring it aboard and get the hell out of here. What's the matter? Are you gonna let a few ugly fish carry They are invaders. Okay, boys and girls, don't try this at home. In a world which no human being has ever entered. Sonar contact. Down here? I'd like to go out and take a look. Contact closing. 300 meters. What the hell is that? 250. Look at that mother. 200 meters. 150 meters. I think we're in big trouble, boss. 100 meters. Get the hell out of here. Now, they are about to make a startling discovery. Not all aliens come from space. Star Six. We're gonna have to go back down there. How did they kill half our crew? Damn it, there's something in the. Save your last breath to scream. Okay, made it. Deep Star Six. From the creator of Friday the 13th, Deep Star Six. Which, by the way, 1989 is filled with these movies. Yes. Uh, We're going to yeah. see Leviathan later and the abyss. I yeah. think there's like a couple others. Yeah. Well, there was some, there was some, uh, direct to video ones, uh, also on top of that. So you had, you had the abyss obviously was the big one and that's the one everybody knew was coming. Mm-hmm. So they started, they started making these movies. And so then you also had Leviathan. You also had the evil below. You had the rift and Lords of the deep. Yeah. Those were basically all direct to video. We won't be, uh, okay. We won't we'll be, be getting we, those. Yeah. But, we won't be covering those, but I remember, I remember uh deep star six and Leviathan, like as far as, uh, commercials were, went and everything. And I, as a 12 year old, I really did want to see these movies for some reason. And I can't explain, but, um, I remember trailers for this. And in fact, yeah. I, in fact, watching some of them, uh, watching the movie, I was like, Oh yeah, I remember that being in the trailer and everything. Um, yeah, but Sean S. Cunningham, um, uh, the creator of Friday the 13th. Yeah. Uh, he's the director of this, um, and the, the creator of this too. And, uh, he started developing this film specifically because Cameron was making the abyss. Like he has flat out said that. He's like, mm. I heard Cameron was making the abyss. I'm like, I got to get a movie out quicker than but that. But you know what? What is, I don't understand. I still don't understand the logic to that. I don't because- either. It, and they didn't even know what the abyss was about. Yeah. So it's like, uh, oh, there, that movie's going to be huge. Then obviously ours will be too, because everybody will be excited for underwater well, thrillers. And I know, I, I know, I know aliens was a hit, mm-hmm. but I, I would kind of understand like almost after T2, mm-hmm. like I could see like, what's he doing next? You yeah. Know? Um, but I don't understand that after aliens. Yeah. I don't either. Um, because I don't think Cameron really becomes Cameron until T2. Oh, maybe, or maybe, well, yeah, I would, I mean, at least the, that's, yeah, his, that's the, the big. The abyss, I think, is the sort of the bridge for that because the yeah. effects in the abyss are like, that's the big thing, uh, that comes out of that is like, yes. I don't even, like, I haven't, uh, now I'll be re rewatching the abyss for this, but, 
Uh, I haven't watched it in forever. I don't remember liking The Abyss too much. Uh, yeah, I don't remember much about it at all. I, I, I don't think I've seen it since 1989. Yeah. Uh, but Deep Star 6 is about um, a crew that is going down to, like, set missiles in place or something for the Navy. Yes, I believe so. It's, it's really just kind of – this is a yada yada thing. Like, yeah. the, the way that – the the reason they're down here is to like and so they want to put these missiles in but the re they can't do it because there's caverns underneath or something like that like yes. they can't just put the the missiles down they have there's caverns underneath so there are a bunch of people who are like hey we should um we should explore the caverns first, yeah. but then the military guy's like, no, we're going to put the missiles down. We don't care what's going on down there in the caverns. Well, yeah, Nia Peoples, there's, there's, a, this cast is like literally just a bunch of like, oh yeah, I remember that person yeah. on TV. Um, but Nia Peoples plays a, uh, or as I called her in this movie, nipple, nipple yeah. Peoples. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of nipples. Um, but, um, she's like, I guess she's some kind of researcher that's mm -hmm. just here, I guess, to help them if they come across anything. Yeah. So she's the one that's really like, I want to get down there and explore. Right. She has no power. No. And she really, I don't even understand that. Like clearly they're there to do their job. I don't, I don't even understand what her situation, how, what she thinks she can accomplish yeah. by that. So they're just going to blow up the Canyon. They're yeah. going to detonate it. So they don't have to deal with it. Mm -hmm. And, um, everything in there be damned. Yeah. Right. <laughs> We're setting up our missiles. Damn it. Yeah. So they send two guys down to, to, to look at it or yeah. whatever. And, uh, the, um, while those two guys go down there to explore, something crashes into yeah. them. And, uh, they've got to figure out what is it that went, that yeah. crashed into them. Um, and, uh, we have, uh, who else in here? We have Greg Evigan, who may now be best known as the father of Brianna Evigan. Um, That's a, oh, I completely forgot about that. But, uh, and back then he was a TV guy. He did, uh, he did BJ and the bear. Yep. And he did, uh, my two dads with mm -hmm. Paul Reiser. Yep. That's right. So. Um, and, uh, Nancy Everhard is our, is our main God, heroine. Best name ever. Yeah, it is. It we're going to talk about her again when we cover the Punisher. Yep. Yep. Um, and just like aliens and the stuff before it or whatever, the, whatever it is down in the, uh, you know, down in the water is sort of systematically attacking them or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like they keep sending people down or whatever. And the, the, was it, do they send, is it? It's not Nia Peoples at first. It's, um, they sent somebody down and then this big creature comes up through the, through their, like. Oh, yeah. No, that's, uh, yeah. Matt McCoy, uh, yeah, yeah. the character he plays. Matt McCoy is going to, we're going to talk. He's the most known probably for replacing Mahoney, replacing Steve Gutenberg in the Police Academy movies. Uh, they put him in this, like, insanely ridiculous suit that mm -hmm. you could not move in. I don't know how this is useful at all why couldn't you just have a smaller suit yeah yeah but they put him in this giant suit and uh, they stick him down in the water so he can they're okay so <laughs> we need to go back so what happens is i other beyond the creature there's this character played by miguel Ferrer, who uh miguel ferrer miguel ferrer sorry and r.i.p sadly passed away recently yeah the last couple years but um great well-known character actor mm -hmm. um he um He's they're they're finally gonna leave because they don't know what's going on and they just need to get the hell out of there. And then so he goes to like 
set to like make sure the missiles are secure Mm -hmm. and for some reason thinks that he's supposed to set them off yeah to secure them right which i never understand you don't know none of that makes any sense And he keeps going i followed directions yeah yeah so (laughs) so this completely screws up everything they can't get out of there now because they can't um what is it called they can't not detox they can't oh um, they have to decompress decompress oh god they say man if you play the decompress drinking game in this movie you're going to be like alcohol poisoning in 20 Mm -hmm. minutes um they say that word so many times but um so they can't decompress so now they've got to figure out a way to get that back online so they send matt mccoy down because he's got to connect something Mm-hmm. And then he gets attacked by the thing, which is actually a pretty cool effect. It like completely rips his lower half. Yeah, yeah. And then it's just like the the crazy big ass suits just like like moving around in there, and it's just like there's no legs, and it, it, it's weird. Yeah, and they they fill in in this thing. This it's it's basically all the same characters from Aliens. Yeah, like Miguel yeah, no, Ferrer this- is the Bill Paxton essentially for sure. Uh, Nancy Everhart is the Sigourney Weaver. Uh, Greg Evigan is the Michael Bean. Yeah, um, and then you got Cindy Pickett, Mrs. Bueller. She's, yeah, uh, she's like a doctor. Yeah, I guess so. She's in there. That was a weird. That was a weird thing because I have only ever seen her in Ferris Bueller. Me too. So like seeing her in this movie, it was like, oh, she's she's did other things. I don't. And that's like the that only up. thing. That's the only thing I remember about her. Uh, but yeah, so that was kind of weird to see her. And um, I and I did I did see this movie around when it came out, but um, I didn't remember anything about it. Um, I didn't remember really liking it. I will say, it's not a particularly good movie, but it's also I I didn't mind it. Like it it kind of. It's kind of fine for what it is. It doesn't ever try to be anything other than what it is. And it does an okay job at that. The creature's kind of cool. It's practical. Yeah. Um, it's not great, but it's, but it's kind of cool and scary and mm-hmm. fun. Um, it's not very suspenseful though. No. Um, so that's kind of a problem. Now, earlier when you said, was, was it Miguel Ferrer that's cut in half or is it somebody else? No, it's Matt McCoy. Matt McCoy's cut in yeah. half because Miguel Ferrer ends up going. Yeah, he, he does, he doesn't, uh, decompress. <laughs> he doesn't decompress. He's just like, I'm just going to go up in this ship and fuck it. He's like Matt Damon in Interstellar. Yeah. Where he just, uh, just decides to go up in the thing without even worrying about the decompression. He's like, fuck it. Yeah, and, for uh, sure. And like, yeah, it's like probably the, the, maybe the sickest part of the whole movie. Um, yeah, I, 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 I agree. It's sort of for what it is. It's kind of, it's, it's totally okay. Yeah. I mean, but it's not, it's not very good. No, no. And I, I did mean, definitely not a high recommendation. And you, you're, you're not going to be, conf- you'll know exactly where it's going. I mean, there's nothing that's going to surprise you. You, 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 you'll know who's going to live as soon as it starts and yeah. who's going to die. And there's no surprises. I mean, there's nothing about it. And I will say, uh, and probably fitting because it's Sean S. Cunningham, although Robert Harmon initially was supposed to direct this. He, he's, uh, directed The Hitcher. Oh, yeah. And, uh, he also directed, uh, the Jean-Claude Van Damme classic, Nowhere to Run. Yep. Yep. Uh, <laughs> actually not a bad director, but nope. he, he ended up leaving. And then so Cunningham took it over and this felt, and Cunningham is not a good director, so that is a problem. Mm-hmm. For anyone who's seen the original Friday the 13th, you know he's not a very good director. Although this was an improvement. Mm-hmm. Um, but it definitely feels like a slasher film. Yeah. And you'll find that with a lot of 80s movies, because even going back and watching things like Predator and Terminator even, mm-hmm. and Cameron's even come out and said the Terminator is totally 
got a lot of slasher movie vibes to it. Yeah. Like, that's where he got a lot of his ideas. So, I mean, you get a lot of that in these 80s movies. The slasher film was such a big thing mm-hmm. that these other types of films kind of end up using some of it. You know, the whole, you know, the and then there were none, Agatha Christie kind of situation where you've got all these people in an enclosed, situ- in a closed area mm-hmm. and they're getting knocked off one by one. Right. So it, it very much feels more like a slasher film than it does a sci-fi film. It's not, this is, there isn't a lot of science fiction here. No. I mean, they're not even, I mean, they're, they're down there trying to put a missile base in. Mm-hmm. And I don't even know how that works. Yeah, I don't either. But like you said, it's very much just how do we get people in the water? Yeah. And then have this creature come after them. So they just come up with something. Yeah. And it's, I guess it's supposed to be some sort of prehistoric type of thing kind of like what later yeah, we would see with the meg yeah or yeah whatever. i guess it's like the meg or piranha or yeah, whatever it's just like yeah. it's this creature that's been stuck in this canyon for however many years yeah and, uh, and it's hungry so it's uh you know and i was surprised the the only part that i was a little surprised was the very end um i was not i thought they were done oh yeah yeah so you, so you there is think- a little bit at the end mm-hmm. you know where he pops up but um so that was kind of interesting. Like I almost kind of wanted him not to kill him because I, yeah. <laughs> like, I was like, well, how would that work? Yeah. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's just, it's okay. It somehow, it actually made like $8 million, mm-hmm. which it actually made some money. It cost three. Oh no, I'm sorry. That's the opening week. It cost eight. The, the, the budget was 8 million. Mm-hmm. The final gross was 8.1. So it didn't really do that well. I don't know why this was $8 million though. I think they could have easily, they should have been able to do this for like three, but and, I don't um, know. The practical effects might have been more. Yeah. And, uh, this is also back in the day where domestic was essentially your, your total gross. Cause that's true. I'm, I'm shocked. See, I, I would have thought this in, uh, uh, Gleaming the Cube would have been swapped. Mm-hmm. Like I would assume Gleaming the Cube would have made like eight or ten million. Oh yeah, and this would have made like two. Yeah, the, <laughs> I remember as a kid seeing Deep Star Six commercials, and I don't think I ever saw anything One, for the other ones. And it definitely didn't have any competition. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing. I mean, I don't even think any. Not even late '88 movies were competing with this. I mean, there weren't like any big horror movies out at the time or mm-hmm. sci-fi. So. Uh, it kind of had its own little area to, I mean, it's probably the equivalent of like something like the devil inside or something getting released like the first week of January now and making like 30, 40 million just because there's nothing to compete with it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was our, it was our winner of all those four <laughs> movies. Um, uh, I hope you're all still here listening with yeah. these exciting movies we just talked yeah, about. That's right. Um, <laughs> They do get better. They do get better. And, uh, yeah, unfortunately, yeah, you have to start with that garbage dump that is January. And like I said, back in this time and it, and all the way up until like maybe Cloverfield. Yeah. 2008, uh, you're, you're going to get nothing but garbage and you still kind of do. Yeah. And I think it, I think this is still the best way to do it. Originally we had talked about maybe just doing like a movie a week. Mm-hmm. You know, just focusing on one movie. And, and that seemed okay at first, but then you go through it. It's like, there's 20 movies. You're like, definitely we're doing Batman. We're doing Indiana Jones. We're doing Field of Dreams. Mm-hmm. But then you've got to pick like another 25 or 30 and you're like starting to go, do I really want to spend two hours talking about Karate Kid three? Yeah. You know? And so I, I, and Chris had this idea to do them, you know, the week to week. And I, I think this is going to be great. I think this is going to be a lot of fun. And, uh, yeah, I hope you guys, uh, stick around and join us on this adventure that we're taking yeah um (laughs) absolutely we're on an adventure for sure um so there won't be one after this there will be one i mean there won't be one the week after this there will be one 
the week after the, the yeah next. so our next episode will be in two weeks because there was nothing actually released the week of the 20th that was i mean there was nothing there was nothing in the nothing, new, yeah. nothing new nothing new nothing new and nothing big um so yeah so the next one will be in two weeks we will for the most part be weekly after that yeah and uh and uh and right now as of this recording i don't know if we'll have anything social set up uh social media set up for yeah we comment. are recording these a little in advance um but uh you have a twitter right I do have a Twitter. You can uh, tweet me at, at @samlumis13. And um I will we will whatever we have set up, we'll have something after I'm sure the episode's over. It'll be like, you know, hey and please contact us at blah blah blah. Yeah. So, um but we definitely we definitely want you guys to contact us and uh, just please understand that we are recording these a little in advance like for instance we're still in 2018 yep <laughs> hadn't even been christmas yet it's almost nope. christmas um so uh you know we will make time to get to questions and tweets and reviews and all that kind of fun stuff uh but just please be understand you know it, it could be a little out from when you actually submit yeah <laughs> the uh the inquiry but we welcome anything and anybody that was you know, is you know, was around in eighty nine watching movies, please share your experiences with us. We would love to hear it. Yeah. And uh yeah. I think this is gonna be a lot of fun. I'm really excited about it. Look, if even if this uh podcast doesn't take off, I wanna do this podcast. Oh, for sure. You know what I mean? Like if we get five listeners, yeah. I wanna do this We're because gonna... there is something there is something to uh watching every movie in a year and I've only done this once. Uh, and I did this in 2000. I, I've never done. I did it in 2005, and 2005 was a horrible garbage well, show. Well, if we get that far, we'll we'll skip 2005. <laughs> we'll do 85. Luckily, <laughs> luckily that's like 15 years away. I know, I know. So, um, but um, but there's something to it. Uh, there's there's almost uh, it's nowhere near this accomplishment. But there's a sort of a climbing a mountain type of thing. Uh, going on there when you watch every major release that happened in one year. And I, and I like going back to this, to this era and sort of figure, seeing what things were going on at the time. And seeing how they hold up now. Yeah. So, like I said, even if it was like five listeners on this, I oh, would want to sure. do this. Yeah, this we're, is a we're doing it. labor of love type of thing. Yeah, so, we're doing it. Um, all right. Well, that'll do it for this episode. Uh, so what are we watching next week? Uh, we've got four more movies next week. Actually, it's going to be two weeks. Oh, from that's now. Right. What do we be watching in two weeks? Because obviously, for whatever reason, the studios decided that the week after this was a gar- was. Yeah, yeah, they're just like we're not we're not putting shit out on the twentieth, man. Yeah, hell that, hell with that. <laughs> so, uh, what are we watching we're not, on that week of the what? It, what would it be the twentieth? The twenty seventh. The twenty seventh. The twenty Yeah. So we're going to be watching. Uh, f- it's going to be four more movies. We've got uh, Michael Crichton directing Burt Reynolds. Yeah, that's a, that's a weird combo. Yeah, I know. In physical evidence. Uh, okay. Nick Nolte and Martin Short are on the lamb with a kid and three fugitives. Okay, and, and it's weird. I've never <laughs> seen that one. I'm looking forward to that actually. And then keeping in the same spirit, Roy Scheider and Adam Baldwin are on the lamb with a kid. Yeah, and, I would uh, have never guessed those two <laughs> were ever in a movie together. And Cohen and Tate. And uh, one of the weirdest horror movies ever in Parents. Okay. All right. Um, okay. Well, that'll do it for this episode. It's Chris Atkinson and Jonathan Watkins. We'll see you next time. 